Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to a brand new Arsblog Arscast right here on Arsblog.com. How are you? Hope you're well. Thank you very much indeed, as always, for being here. We're heading into a tough Premier League weekend. Manchester City away from home. A daunting task at the best of times, but at the time of recording, it seems like they're about to sign Cristiano Ronaldo which, of course, would add some uh, firepower to a squad which, you know, is pretty pretty meager, really, isn't it? Not much going on in that Man City squad in terms of player quality or depth or anything like that. So I guess they need a little bit of a boost before they face a team as good, as powerful, as in-form as Arsenal right now, heading into this one on the back of a 6-0 win in the Carabao Cup over West Brom. Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang is averaging three goals a game so far this season. That Manchester City defence is going to be absolutely cacking itself. Martin Odegaard averaging an assist a game so far this season. Alexandra Lacazette averaging a goal a game. It's all coming up Milhouse for Arsenal. I'm telling you. Look, it was nice to get back to winning ways against West Brom on Wednesday night, and all the usual caveats will apply when I have a conversation with my guest now in a moment. It's a shame it has to be done, because, uh, you know, most people, I think, listening to this will understand that there is, you know, some nuance available in a discussion but if you if you don't say it there are people who will listen and go well you're you're talking like beating West Brom is the most amazing thing of all time and look it's not it was a young West Brom side we know that it's a West Brom side that are a division below us we know that but still you have to say it so when you say hey Arsenal were quite good against West Brom people don't go yeah well you know there's only a very young West Brom side and uh, actually West Brom, if you hadn't noticed, are in the championship. Uh, Yeah, thanks for that, pal. I I did notice. I am aware. So when I talk about this game with Tim Stillman, who's coming up now in a second, please just bear in mind that I and he are aware of those caveats. We also know that we lost to Chelsea and we know that we lost to Brentford. But sometimes, just sometimes, you can analyze and talk about a game in its own right, on its own merits, without it being uh, a commentary on anything else, good, bad, or indifferent. So that is what we're going to do. Talk about that and much more besides. So hello, Tim. Hello there. So, look, uh, a shot in the arm, you might say, on on Wednesday night when Arsenal actually won a game of football and scored some goals. Uh, A remarkable thing, a clean sheet. Arsenal won a game of football with, say, Kolasinac at centre-half. All of these things that nobody ever thought were possible turned out to be possible. Uh, Look, it's been a very difficult start to the season, uh, but this was enjoyable on many levels. And, you know, when you have been through a difficult period at the start of a season, you need these games, you need these moments, you need these, um, you know, just these performances, these results, just to remind people that you're actually a football club that can play football, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. I I think the fans needed it. I think the players needed it. I was really um, happy with the way that Arteta approached it, actually. I I suspected he might because with no European football, Mm. there is no point in resting players anyway and actually at this point of the season they could probably do with the minutes a lot of them and you look at guys like Aubameyang um, he needed a game and to get a hat trick great stuff doesn't matter who it's against I think particularly with Aubameyang I think Aubameyang is one of those players who's like he's a bit of a vibes player you know he needs like good vibes around him and that will give him some good vibes um, I think because we know he can score goals like we don't we don't need to we, we don't need to learn that 
But yeah, yeah, I yeah. think he needed to get that feeling back. And just that, yeah, just just like that little bit of lightness um, again, which which I think the manager, the players like. And, and essentially, that was really, really enjoyable. And it can be totally disposable as well. It doesn't have to mean anything. We don't have to read into yeah. like where that where we think that that puts the squad or anything like that. It's perfectly fine to like take it out the box, look at it, close the box, and put it away again, and yeah. just enjoy it for what it for what it was. And and it was really enjoyable to watch as a game and and to be there as well. Yeah, I mean, it, it, we'll talk about the atmosphere and some of the bits and bobs that you know went around that. But you know, just sticking with Aubameyang because he's had a difficult preseason he's had a difficult period in the last sort of nine to 12 months I guess you would say he had a a poor season by his own standards last time around there are all kinds of things going on uh, on a personal level for him he had malaria he then got COVID you know all of these things where you know particularly at um, you know towards the end of a preseason where it looked like at least if we can uh, gauge properly how hard a a footballer is working by their Instagram stories he was working pretty hard Um, (laughs) Uh, and was obviously keen to to get back scoring goals because that is the thing that he loves to do. I thought when he came on against Chelsea, he looked sharp. There was a bit of zip about him. Uh, you know, he didn't make a huge difference on the day, but I don't know, you know, what really could have. But the goals that he scored were not just pleasing because he scored the goals, but the way he scored those goals. That first one, for example, when Bakayo Saka takes a shot, he's anticipating immediately where the ball might go if the goalkeeper makes a save. He's on his toes. He's not caught on his heels. And by the time the defender even considers the idea that the goalkeeper might uh, save it and spill it out in front of him, Aubameyang is there and he's putting it in the in the back of the net. You know, there's a lot of talk about him because of his age, because of what happened last season. But to see him that sharp and that, that that you know, uh, switched on, I guess, in a game like this against opposition like that, it wasn't like he was waiting for the chances to come to him. He made them happen. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that first goal he scores, no one else in our squad scores that no. goal. Maybe Martinelli, um, you could say, yeah. but depending on where he is on the pitch. But... The, the thing is with Arsenal and Aubameyang, I, I kind of think this summer would have been good for him just to, you know, take some some time away, even though, like you say, it looks like he was actually doing some physical work. And actually, for the first time, he's not really being spoken about, which, which I think can work in his favour. It's not like, because, you know, last summer there was the contract, mm. and obviously there was so much focus on him and the FA Cup, and, you know, it's, oh, here we go, like, he's our saviour now. And actually, what last season has done and I'm not saying last season was good for him at all, but like perhaps just t- tempered some of that expectation. And I hope he's just thought, right, okay, um, I've, I want to show that my career is not on the downward spiral here, that, that was, there were mitigating mm. circumstances. This was a one-off. And, and I do, I see that in him. I think he looked like a man possessed when he came on against Chelsea. But I think it's a two-way thing. And I, I, I've written before, I think there was a sense of mutual drift last season. I think that... Arsenal weren't really sure what to do with him and he sensed that and you just got that sense of growing apart and and we have to take a step towards him as well. I, I really hope the Odegaard signing is the beginning of that to get a good creative player mm. in there and have that kind of, and we saw it last night, that kind of trio buzzing around him and, and him just sweeping up in the penalty area because ultimately it is impossible for me to imagine Arsenal having a really good season and Aubameyang not having a really good season. This is, you know, probably with the exception of Saka, this is as close to a world-class player as we currently have. Yeah. It's, in terms of the talent, mm. he's, he's the closest. Um, he, he's I, In what he does, he is world-class. And Arsenal don't have a lot of players like that at the moment. So they, as far as I'm concerned, they, they gave him the contract. They have to start playing to his strengths now. They've made that commitment. And there yeah. were some things in pre-season I, I, wasn't, I wasn't happy about Arteta saying, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, if yeah. he's an age-based decline, I thought it was a really stupid thing to say. Like, whatever you think, you say, no, he's brilliant. He'll score a ton of goals and he'll show you all. That's what you say. Yeah. Particularly, I think, with a character like Aubameyang. Um, and, and, you know, the, the kind of leaking of like, oh, well, Arsenal would entertain offers. Like, what's the point in that? Because the offer's probably not coming. And I know that that record has now really been corrected. But 
it just struck me as a pointless thing to put out there really because no one's coming for him we don't think so well the other the other side of work yeah exactly and the other side of that is that even if you do sell Aubameyang like who are Arsenal going to be able to get who's anywhere close to that level of talent that's what always struck me as not strange like I understood people having doubts about him I understand that when a player has a season like he had last year particularly when he gets a bit older it's easy to sort of join the dots and say, well, one plus one equals two, and two is this is a player who got a big contract, he's in decline, we're traumatized, I think, as Arsenal fans, because we've seen that before, you know, so I, under- I understand, but the idea that we could sell him, and I don't know how much you would get for him, but but be able to buy a player of that goal-scoring talent. I'm not saying he's the greatest footballer that we've ever had or anything like that, but when it comes to putting the ball in the back of the net, I think you're absolutely right. Like, our our hopes of, have, of having a good season, they don't depend entirely on him, but very strongly on him as the main striker scoring a lot of goals. So when he pops up on his first game of the season with a hat trick, with, like, the first goal... Brilliant anticipation, brilliant movement in the box, uh, taps it home. Second one, he um, he's in the right place at the right time. Again, you know, when the ball rebounds in the penalty area, just having somebody in the box is fucking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, the third goal, like he could have scored, uh, and he did the overhead kick and Pepe knocked it in. And the fourth goal, like we've seen him score that goal before. We've seen that finish before. But I watched it over and over again this morning, and as he cuts in on his right foot, the defender probably thinks he's got another step to yeah, yeah. to get across and make the challenge, and he doesn't. He like literally steps in, and in the same movement, with barely any backlift, he puts it in there. And that, you know, for a guy who hasn't scored for a while, is so so encouraging. Um, you know about what he can do in, in the coming weeks. Maybe not this weekend against Man City, but mm. but in the games that we really have to win, you know, it, it looks like. Uh, and I know it's just one game, but it looks like he's he's sort of refound his spark a bit. Yeah, definitely. And also that that third goal he scores, he doesn't have to play on the left wing or start on the left wing to mm. score that goal. He can still go over to that space which he likes. Yeah. Um and and he should do as well and 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 so that was that was a really really pleasing goal. I just yeah. I just think he looked on it from the beginning and he looked really happy at the end like coming over with the ball tucked under his arm and I think all of the players looked, um, I guess, maybe even pleasantly surprised <laughs> the fact that um, there were like 3,000 fans there. And, you know, and so th- there was a kind of, oh, wow, like this, this is really, this is really kind of not what we expected, 3,000 mm. people coming here on a Wednesday night. And, and he looked really, really engaged with that. And, and yeah, it was, it was, it was a great night. It was a great night for a lot of players, but it was a great night for him, I think, most of all. Yeah, you know, for somebody who needed a uh, for somebody who needed a, a boost and a confidence boost, it's hard to think that uh, you know a player who is thirty two years of age and what have you uh, needs that kind of uh, boost to their confidence. But uh, you know, I think they all do. Um, and look, you know, across the board, when you look at the attacking talent and the issue that we have with scoring goals, scoring six, um, I think we hit the post, we hit the bar as well. Um, my friend West Antone will be absolutely gutted that both of those didn't go in, so he didn't get the eighth goal, but there you go. But, you know, Pepe looked dangerous all night. Uh, Alexandra Lacazette came on and scored a really, really good goal. Uh, Martin Odegaard, a fantastic uh, easing back into action in an Arsenal shirt, if you like. He had an hour, uh, created a, a goal with a sublime assist, hit the post. Bakayo Saka, you know, he... Uh, he looked like a man as well who's who just had a little switch has gone the right way for him so you know a goal so those things that we need this team to do in more important games in in you know more crucial games in the premier league you know to see them do it in the in that game on wednesday night was just really pleasing yeah definitely and and that front four as well the link up there um again really really promising and and essentially what this game was was like a high level training session mm. Um, for these players and and we really need that synergy in that front four and it won't always be that front four I imagine Smith Rowe will come in um, you know Martinelli might come in Lacazette will come in as as he did in this game but 
we really need those front that front four kind of playing together, getting nice and close together. And I, I love seeing goals where there's like there's flicks and back heels and things like that. Not not necessarily just because it looks nice, but it just it just suggests like a confidence um, and an instinct as mm. well. The kind of the fact that you know what someone's movement's going to be because effectively when you're kind of flicking or back heeling the ball, you can't really see the guy you're trying to flick it to. So you're, you're taking it on trust that he's going to be there. Yeah. And that's, and it's just that kind of high speed decision-making. And, and that's another reason I really like the signing of Erdegaard is just because he's been there for six months already. And I think he already has some of those relationships and I'm just really looking forward to seeing some of those players kind of spark off each other a little bit and I really hope that some of those particularly Pepe actually I really hope he looks at this and thinks ah here's someone who can get me the ball in the final 20 yards of the pitch because for me Pepe is a little bit like Walcott in that I just don't want him on the ball anywhere other than like (laughs) you know the width of the penalty area I'm not interested in him having the ball on the touchline or the halfway like I just I I just Mm. don't think he adds anything unless he's facing forward facing goal and, you know, I really hope he looks at Erdegaard and thinks, OK, that, that's a guy that can get me the ball. So I'm going to so I'm not going to get like because sometimes Pepe can he'll have a, like a bright start, like 20 minutes or so. And then it's not happening and then it just doesn't happen. Mm. And I really hope he kind of does that. OK, even if I don't get the ball in the first 20 minutes, I'll keep making that movement because someone like Erdegaard will find me. And so I, I, that that's really because, again, a lot of what we're going to do this season it's going to have to depend on us scoring lots of goals particularly against teams lower in the table which we haven't been able to do so that that's the you know the 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 front four and and that is where a lot of our talent is as well we do have good attackers yeah we haven't had a good attack but we've got good attackers we've got talented attackers and they've got to start playing together now no i agree i think What's interesting to me about the Odegaard thing is that, you know, of course he is left-footed and his natural inclination might be to to add more weight to that left side, if you like. But I, you know, I, I could be completely wrong about this. Maybe the stats don't back it up. But from my own perception, I think he gives us more balance on the right-hand side because he does tend to drift into that half space. He also likes to play that kind of inside pass, um, you know, which we've seen set Pepe free, but can also um, work with the right back as well. So, you know, when we see the team, okay, let's work it. We get it to Tierney. He puts in a cross. Uh, Okay, repeat to fade. Uh, You know, we need more variety in that sense. And look, you know, just giving it to the other fullback to cross from the other side isn't exactly, uh, you know, uh, a master plan or anything like that. But I do think that when you can use both sides of the pitch, you have a better chance of, of pulling the opposition apart because right now, the way that we attacked, particularly in the, the Brentford game, maybe and and the, the Chelsea game when occasionally we did get forward, it's really easy to defend against when you know that there's only one side to worry about. You know, you block off the lanes and then you can work it out the other side. But if you're worried about what the team could do or what the opposition can do, if they can get it down the opposite side, you're probably staying a little more compact in the center. Therefore, you've got more space for your right back or for your right winger to overlap and, and cause some danger in that in that uh, area of the pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And and it's not just the fact that Erdegaard drifts over to the right. When he goes to the right, his intention is not to go over to the touchline or the corner flag or anything. He wants to come inside when he gets the ball in, on the right. So actually, as as well as giving us a little bit more in terms of overloading the right-hand side, the, the number one of the big things this Arsenal team really needs is more threat through the centre. Mm. And the thing is, when you play a Bamiyang up front, you get threat in the penalty area but you don't necessarily get it in the build-up through the centre and so Partey and Erdegaard are going to be really really important for that so you know just that not just going over to the wings but like we just we vacate the centre so much and 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 I really hope that Erdegaard and Partey together can really give us that central threat and then the wings are something we can use kind of when we need Mm. to like at the moment the plan is to go wide and I never think that's a great plan, actually. I think you go wide when you can't go through the centre. That's the ideal place to go. But really, like, going wide should be your kind of plan B rather than your plan A. And and that's what that's what I think this team really, really needs. And one of the things, again, I'm really looking forward to with the signing of Erdegaard, and hopefully if Thomas Partey can stay um, a bit fitter than he could 
uh, last season. And to be fair to him, this injury that he's got could have been a lot worse. So mm. I'm not going to call him injury prone just yet because actually that was a nasty knock he took and it's not kept him out for that long. It's a bugger that it's kept him out against two really big teams. But that I, I just I think that party Erdegaard, um, I'm not sure I'd call it a partnership, but just giving us that presence. It, it, you could see how they link up, though, if you know what I mean. Yeah. If we're... You know, if we think sometimes of our midfield as this thing that exists detached from the front four, Partey gives you the the verticality, if you like. He likes to play that inside pass, that, that forward pass through that central area. So if Odegaard is there and he can then link up with players ahead of him, it does, it does change the dynamic a bit. And I think you're right to say that we have good attackers if we don't have... A good attack. I think that's part of where the frustration comes from as Arsenal fans. If we knew we had duds at that end of the pitch, we'd be probably a little more sympathetic to the kind of football that we're producing. Whereas we know that the talent is there and the ability is there to do more than than we've seen, you know, last season when we scored 58 goals or 55 goals, whatever it was in the Premier League, way, way, way below what the, the talent of the players should be producing. So, you know, to, to find the combination slash combinations that unlocks that a little bit has always, uh, to my mind anyway, been the thing that Mikel Arteta is going to have to focus on. Yeah, big time. And, and we all saw last season what happened with the kind of the complete lack of a number 10, um, something that my daughter is also very exercised can hear about. Her though. Yeah, she can she's hear. made a good point um, there, in fairness. Yeah, yeah. And she, she hates Willian, by the way. Um, so <laughs> I've raised her well. But, you know, like it, Willian, Willian was supposed to be someone to kind of bridge mm. that gap. And actually, um, I'm, I'm not flying a flag for him by, by any means here. But actually, well, you don't want to let your daughter down. Of, that's for sure. <laughs> When you when you look at the data, like one thing he is he has been quite good at is just like carrying the ball towards the penalty area, um, but like just not having that link, that kind of number ten to go through, particularly the period when he was in the team when it was mm. okay. I'm carrying the ball forward, but then what the hell do I do with it once I get yeah. once I get to where I'm going? And and so there's 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 an yeah there, there's an awful lot I think like that at the moment. And when you look at our attack as well and. I'm looking at like someone like Martinelli, who I think is super talented, and you're looking at it and thinking, where are his minutes coming from other than as a super sub? And Pepe is probably not in our first choice kind of front four either. So, you know, potentially you've got players like Martinelli and Pepe on the bench, but probably Lacazette isn't either. Um, so, you know, those are three really, really good players that, that all do like quite different things that mm. we can potentially bring into games as well. And that's something else that Arteta hasn't been able to do yet, which is affect games from the bench. And he has the players to do it. I really think he does. I mean, you know, um, he missed Martinelli for a lot of last year. So, and then kind of Pepe was in and out. But I, I really think that we should, you know, he, he's he got his central midfielder in party. That was mm. his purchase. He's got his centre-back in Ben White. Really now, I think a lot of the rest of it is about making that attack work. Like he's got the two central pillars in the spine that he wanted. I think really to, to be really reductive here, he's got to say, okay, I've got to trust those guys to do that job. And Gabriel, that's my signing as well. Yeah. And now my job is really, okay, I, I trust those guys in a way that I didn't trust the guys that I had before. And now my job is I've got five or six really good attackers and I can't use them all at the same time, but I have to find a way to, to make all of them work, to work together, to work from the bench, to come in and out of games and mm. things like that. That that will be the thing that will determine whether Arteta holds on to his job, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, I mean, the bench thing, you know, when you looked at what we had on the bench um, for Brentford, you know, if it wasn't working against Brentford, there wasn't anything there, really. Um, pretty similar against Chelsea, you know, there wasn't a great deal on the bench and particularly when you looked at their bench and went, well, fucking hell, like that's it's yeah. ridiculous. You know, they're bringing on World Cup winner N'Golo Kante and you look at the array of talent and the money that they've spent on, on those players, which isn't to say I think we should or, or can have a, a bench as deep as that. But when you do have, you know, that front seven that you're talking about, 
Um, maybe your subs are Martinelli, Pepe, Smith Rowe, or they're Martinelli, Pepe, uh, or sorry, Lacazette, um, Smith Rowe. You know, you've got combinations there of players who can come in and out of the team and who can, you know, uh, impact the way that we play in different ways. You know, Smith Rowe, you know, the idea that, that, that Odegaard was going to, uh, somehow stand in the way of Smith Rowe never really made sense to me because of the, the completely different type of player that they are. You know, I think he's probably going to end up maybe more as a wide player, or even if we shift back into a four, three, three, he could play as an eight in there. Um, uh, and maybe, you know, fulfill his Croydon De Bruyne status a little bit, but you know, he and Odegaard are very different players, even if we've been asking them to do a similar kind of job. Yeah, and and you need that. Like, you can't just have one creator in a team. You need to, like, even, yeah, even in the least. days. Of, yeah, yeah. Even in the days of Fabregas, who was you know the best creator around, we had like Rosicky and Leb and players like that. We had Bergkamp in the team, but we still had Pires and Henri breaking assists records and mm. things like that. Like, you can't just have one creator in a team, which is why I think more often than not, we'll see Smith, Smith, Rowe and Erdegaard together. I do think that Smith Rowe is more of a wide player who can play as a 10. That that's the way I look at him in this system at the moment, because of the way he overloads out wide. Yeah. That, that tends to be when you play him as a 10, that tends to be where he goes, which, which is great. Um, but really what I want is him doing that, but then someone else being in the center and that, and that to me is Erdegaard. Um, just just having like it, it's a bit like ha- having one creator is like having one goal scorer um essentially you, yeah you can't again when we had Urza, we still had alexis creating chances and, and things like that it's you know Santa you, you need, yeah yeah precisely like you you need more than that and and that's why i think and i hope this is why i'm reasonably positive about abamyang this year because i just think if you put smithrow erdegaard saka behind him I think there's three really different sets of qualities there um, in terms of what those players do. Mm. Um, and then you've got Tierney's delivery from wide. He, even Chambers' delivery from wide is really, really good. Like, I can see Arsenal getting in the penalty area a lot more. I, I'd rather they didn't, like, whack crosses in like they're still playing with Olivier Giroud up front. <laughs> I'd still, I'd like them to be, like, less crossy and more cutbacky. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to use a technical term, um, but I can see Arsenal getting into those areas, and, and they need to because that, for me, is just like the number one thing that was wrong last season was the the kind of ball progression mm. and getting the ball in there. And 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 if we can do that, you know, I, I, you know, look, I'm not saying that we'll we'll like have a stormer of a season or anything like that, but but for me this year, like it's difficult to get excited about finishing fifth or sixth when you think that that's probably our ceiling. It's difficult to get excited about it. But for me, it's the way we do it. If we finish sixth and we play really good football and some of those younger players start to look better and better and there's a sense of direction of travel where you think, Mm. okay, it's sixth this year. Next year could be fourth, you know, or in two years it could be fourth. If you get that sense of upward trajectory... That, like there are different ways you can finish fifth or sixth. You can finish fifth like Unai Emery finished fifth, or you can finish fifth in a way that makes it feel like okay, we're, we're on a yeah. bit of a journey here. And that that for me that is what a lot of this season is about. It feels more like the journey matters as much as the destination. Yeah, like I think the end, like the destination is important, obviously, because we need to see some improvement. But I, you know, I wonder as well with a night like Wednesday night if it's you know, if it's not getting too much into sort of abstract thoughts or, or 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 whatever, but just the idea that maybe this team needed to uh, know that it could do this, mm-hmm. you know, because the, the first two games were not great. And to be fair, there were a couple of games in preseason where we scored some goals, but there were also a couple of games in preseason where we struggled uh, in front of goal and, and, you know, as a recurring theme, et cetera, et cetera. But I just wonder if, like, the evidence is there that they can do this if they play in a certain way. And look, part of it is down to the opposition. We know that. But, you know, if you do these things, if you play these patterns and if you can achieve them, like there was even one where there was an Odegaard, I think, pass and he sent Saka free. And if Saka had 
done what you had said and cut back rather than crossed, there was an easy chance there for Odegaard. But like one of the complaints about Odegaard last season was that he doesn't get in the box enough. So he, he, he impacts the play in the opposition half, but he's not necessarily getting himself into positions where he can score a goal. He was herring into the box to get on the end of the sacker cutback there. So, you know, little things like that, which might just change the emphasis and change the way that we deliver that final ball could have a, a very positive effect on the way that we play. Yeah, definitely. And I think Erdegaard, um, you know, there are a number of soft factor reasons why I like that signing. And one of them, I think he not, like, I, I think he really feels like he's got something to prove and he wants to settle somewhere yeah. now. And he's probably thinking, okay, my career's not quite where I thought it might be at 22 or where I think it should be. Mm. Now, like he's signed five years with Arsenal now. It's like now I'm going like early to my mid-20s. Like this is when, you know, my reputation will be really established. And I think he knows as well that some of those end product numbers need to come up. I think he'll know that better than anyone. And and I, I, I don't know. I haven't heard him say it. I don't know the guy, but I just have this real sense that he's thinking, right, okay, that I, I need to, I need, I want to convince people that I'm, I'm the player that everyone thought I was when I was 16, 17. And he'll know that a big part of that is scoring goals. He, I'm, I'm certain he knows that. I'm absolutely certain that he's, he's kind of thinking to himself, yep, I, that's a criticism of me. Mm. It's a valid one. Fine. Let's, let's address it. And, and again, just um, that, that's why I get, I'm just so interested in the synergy with that kind of front four, particularly, you know, Saka, Smith-Rowe, Erdegaard. Those are the players that Arsenal are committed to on a long-term basis. And if they, you know, if those players want to stay, they will be at Arsenal for a long time. So I'm really interested in how they all link up and how they all like each other and how mm. they appreciate one another's movements. And it's one of the things Arteta said after the game last night, actually, he he did say, you know, it's Erdogan's very intelligent and we all know that, but it's also up to the players to recognise his intelligence and, and respond to his movements as well. And I think he sees Erdogan as a bit of a, to use a Wengerism, a technical leader. And I think he mm. really, where some of those experienced players have failed really to take on the younger players, I actually think he looks at Erdogan a bit like that. Um, you know, not a grizzled veteran by any means, but as someone who can be like, okay, I, I'm going to put the ball here, so yeah. you fucking well better be there when I do it. <laughs> yeah. Like just that, like yeah. impetus stuff that's not vocal. Mm. It's just I've got the ball. I'm facing forwards. Where are you? Yeah, and yeah, I yeah. really think players like Saka and Smith Rowe will respond to that. Um, and yeah, I think that that could be something really exciting this season. No, I agree. And look, you know, at his, um, you know, he's 22. It didn't work form at Real Madrid the way he would have liked I'm sure but he did have good numbers in terms of goal scoring at Vitesse I think he scored 12 goals one season or maybe it was 11 or 12 goals Real Sociedad as well you know his numbers were good um, you know looking at sort of 16, 17 goal involvements over the course of his loan spell there when he was there um, the season before last so he is capable of it I agree I'm, I'm curious as to what you thought about Mikel Arteta's comments during the week about you know, when you're talking about leadership and technical leadership, and we do have this cohort of young players, and we can see the potential of Saka, Smithrow, Odegaard, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But he was he was talking about the experienced players and their role. And I I don't know if you read the Jack Wilshire piece during the week in the Athletic, yeah. um, and he made a said something really really interesting that when he came through at Arsenal. You know, he was a young player with loads of talent, loads of potential like these guys. But he said, I had world-class players around me. I had Sesk, I had Robin Van Persie, I had Samir Nasri. But, you know, he had these players around him. He said, they helped me so much. I learned so much from them. Like, as much as we perhaps are a little tired of some of the experience that we have, they do still have a big role to play for these young players, you know, the likes of Shaka, Lacazette, Aubameyang, Partey, you know, these are the guys who who really have to help these guys mature, you know, not just 
take responsibility from them, but to kind of guide them and all of those things that, you know, a lot of that we never see. We never see the conversations on the training ground. You know, we can see them in conversation in games at times. We don't know what they're saying, but but they do have a big responsibility here. You know, the manager and his coaching staff and all that kind of stuff as well. But if you want to get the best out of young players, and I think we learned this the hard way a little bit when Arsene Wenger embarked on what was called Project Youth. He didn't call it that, but that's what it was known as, that there was maybe the balance was too far the other way. It was more about you're young, you're talented, you're good, get out there and express yourselves. But sometimes without somebody saying, no, that's not the way to do it, you you can go down the slightly wrong path in that way. Yeah, and, and actually, I, I think this is something that's a lot because it sounds it all sounds quite intangible, and to some in some respects it is. Yeah, I, I actually think it's more tangible because um, from what I can gather, people like Abamyang and Lacazette, like on the training ground, are really good with the younger players. David Luiz is another one who's supposed to be really good with the young players in terms of talking to them and things like that. Mm. But um, and, and doing that kind of, I guess, visible leadership bit, that vocal leadership bit. But for me, it, it's much more about about on the pitch and what you do with the ball and who takes responsibility with the ball. And we can see with guys like Saka and Smithrow, like they just take responsibility. They demand it. They drive forward with it. And, and that's the type of leadership that I'm really looking for from some of the more experienced ones. So it's good to have an arm around their shoulder at London Colney. And, you know, back in my day, I did X, Y, and Z. <laughs> like that's, that's all great. But I, I think that's actually quite a small part of it. The, the big part of it is, you know, look, give me the ball on the pitch and I'll give you the ball and you make the forward run and I'll make the forward run. And, you know, mm. we'll, that, that, that's where it really, really counts. I don't doubt for a second that Aubameyang, Lacazette were great with the kids uh, with the with the younger players, but it was just it was on the pitch where some of the more experienced players got quite slopey shouldered, um, you know, for for reasons probably pertaining to their their own futures or the way the team was playing for them. But that that's it, it's in those kind of I think leadership really comes up in those like really instinctive moments, almost when you you don't have time to think. And that's like getting on the ball and taking that responsibility and making that run and and chasing that lost court and just doing things like as a reflex. Because in in football, you you don't have time to think like, hmm, if I do this, am I a leader? <laughs> like it's it's all just yeah, stuff yeah, yeah. you've got to do quite naturally. And I, and I do think that um, you know players spark off of one another um, when they do that because the other alternative is. Because you can demonstrate um, leadership qualities, but if other people don't, you know, you get like a William Gallas situation where mm. visibly, you know, pointy, shouty, talking to people and stuff like that, but no one liked him. So no one was having him. Yeah, yeah. So he was doing like leadership stuff, but it was all one way. It needs to be reciprocal. Um, and, and that's more what I'm looking for. So I, I'm not, I'm not really interested in like a Bamiyang kind of, chewing people out or anything mm. it's much more that kind of i'm going to come and get involved with the game or i can see that you're getting a little bit crowded there so you know what i'll come over and but i'll help but like yeah yeah but like saka and smith row they're just the types of player that like i don't think they need like a lot of protection or anything like that they're both incredibly brave they both you know they show a lot of these players how to do it and and that's why like often i think experience is kind of over indexed i just think some players have that. I look at Saka and I don't see a 19-year-old at all. I mm. see like I just I just see a guy who's really good at football and I think other footballers see that as well because they give them the ball and 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 that's what I want to see is the players appreciating um the talent that they all possess and trying to come up with a way of kind of bringing out their talent. So Bakayo, what are you really good at? You're mm. really good at getting on the turn and bursting at people and you know, getting us from that middle third to the end third. Abamyang, we know what you're good at. Go and just stay in the bot. You know, just like appreciating one another's qualities, mm. and 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 that's when you start to get that kind of that mutual leadership bit. And ju- just to finish that kind of rambling thought, I ju- I just remember like um, Patrick Vieira being asked about captaining the Invincibles. I I think um, th- this is this is probably not the way to say it. I think an overrated captain 
um, by which I, d- I don't mean he's a bad captain or anything like that. But I remember him saying, I captain a team that doesn't need to be captained um, effectively. And, and yeah. that's that's because everyone knows their job and everyone likes each other and spark- and appreciates one another's talent. And that's that's what's got to happen here. Essentially, the football has to get better, and then you'll see the kind of the leadership stuff. Yeah, out. you can see like you can see when players trust each other on a pitch. I think yep. the Invincibles are the perfect example of that. Where even if something was going wrong, you banked on them to to turn that around. So yeah, we'll we'll see what happens there. Yeah, look, we'll see who shows up. I think this season in terms of leadership and who takes responsibility on the ball and who makes things happen and and everything else. And uh, you know maybe we'll have a different uh, conversation about this in in six months' time. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. I want to go back to what you talked about uh, at the start about the atmosphere and how good it was to be there. And I think for very obvious reasons, having 18 months or, or thereabouts where football has not been what we grew up enjoying and watching and being part of and everything else to be back in stadiums and everything else is is amazing i was watching the game on wednesday night about six or seven minutes in the arsenal fans started singing for aaron ramsdale mm-hmm. and i was thinking that's just just so fucking great because that's not like Twitter. And I know Twitter is not real life. You know Twitter is not yeah. real life. All of us know that there's these weird sort of echo chambers and, and what have you that exist in, uh, you know, in this online space that we're all in for better or worse. But I thought it was great, you know, that this is a guy who if you if you were to gauge public opinion via Twitter, you know, was coming in with butterfingers and like all the rest and was probably just going to fall over and die the minute he pulled on an Arsenal shirt or the first shot that came near him, he was just going to like collapse in a heap, whatever it was. He played well. He got a clean sheet. I'm delighted for him. I think it's great. He seems like a really nice guy. I've watched his interviews. He's got a really good personality, I think. Um, But I was just struck by the difference between that real life experience. I'm not saying it's better or worse or that like people who, you know, I'm a fan who for the most part watches from afar. So I'm not, you know, being in any way judgmental here, but I do think that that sometimes we can convince ourselves of things which aren't necessarily the truth. Uh, And the real life experience is, is, you know, it can open our eyes up a little bit. I think it, it behooves us all to open our eyes a little bit to things like that. Yeah, 100%. And the thing is, um, you know, been to all three games so far and I've really enjoyed them all. Um, I mean, when I say the game, probably less so the game in a couple of incidences, but just being back in the stadium, like Brentford was was a great day out and Chelsea was as well. And like just that kind of that sense of reunion, seeing people again, being in my seat again, people being in their seats and seeing people Mm. they haven't seen. And and what's interesting to me is you're you're right. There is like um, there's definitely like a, a separation. And 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 in one way, I think kind of Twitter is the perfect place to moan about like whether whether yeah. you think a signing's it's, good or not. It's inconsequential ultimately. Yeah. 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 Whereas inside the stadium, it's a bit like well, 
no no one does or should care about what my specific opinion is about Aaron Ramsdale inside the stadium. It's yeah. not important anyway, but like, why would I, am I just going to like stand there like yelling his FB ref stats or something? Like what, <laughs> what's the point in that? You're like, in the 13th playing, percentile for launching it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like what's the point in that? Like would be like a massive attack yeah. of ego to do that. But it, but it, it did start to happen in the ground at Arsenal, I think certainly towards the end of the Wenger period. And there was a big, I do think that the the social media experience and the stadium experience did start to converge a little, but I, the thing I'm really interested in is, is that that hasn't been like in the stadium all three games so far. The support's been great. Yeah. It really, really has like universally. And I'm interested in how much, how much I personally maybe just lost touch with the more visceral side of being a fan and forgot that it was a little bit like that and how much there's a sense of novelty um, about people like coming back to games and being back together. Because what I'm feeling is a real determination to enjoy enjoy the games and enjoy the experience, which to be honest, pre-COVID, I wasn't, I I started to like not enjoy away games as much, not just because we were crap, because everyone around just seemed determined not to enjoy it. Whereas that that's changed um, a little bit. And I think there are also reasons relating to like Arsenal have done things around the way ticketing. Um, so the away scheme is not abolished, but um, you know, and, and the number of credits you need has gone down. So for West Brom on Wednesday night, you didn't need any away credits to go. So perhaps people who haven't had the chance mm. to go, are going and maybe there's a bit of a refresh going on there but I'd be really interested to see in like October November when maybe some of that novelty fades a little bit how that atmosphere holds up and I, I was thinking I'd, I'd point people towards um, a thread a good friend of mine Ricky um, Geezy Peas on Twitter um, you know was talking about what is it that would make us happy because when you look at it we know we're not going to win the league we know we're probably not going to finish in the top four but on the face of it, we've got a former club captain as the manager who's already won an FA Cup, and now we've got a team of young players. And mm. if we can't get behind that, what can we get behind? You know, what would make us happy? Given that the, I mean, the obvious thing that would make us happy would be to like be like PSG and Man City and just buy all the best players. But we can't do that. So in lieu of that, what makes us happy? And actually, this squad is starting to take on certainly a slightly more likeable um, kind of tone, I think. And, you know, there was a you know, great song for like Smithrow and Saka that was being sung all night. And yeah, yeah. Obviously, Aaron Ramsdale has just inherited Aaron Ramsey's chance, which is fine. That's nice and easy. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the thing I loved about Ramsdale as well is how pleased he looked with it as well. Like he just seemed really, really happy both at the ground and mm. obviously his post on social media afterwards. And, and yeah, I, I really hope that that, that line holds and it doesn't have to mean that you think the manager's brilliant or the players are brilliant and like by all means moan on Twitter about that stuff. But I really hope that this almost imaginary line holds where it's like, okay, the game started inside the stadium. No one gives a fuck what I think about Ben White. So there is no point in me bringing that baggage in here. I I hope that holds um, once the novelty factor wears off a bit. It'll be interesting. Obviously, you know, results are key in terms of how, you know, people um, feel about what's going on at their football club. But I read, you know, I read that thread from Ricky and he's, you know, we are where we are right now and we've got a long way to go and everyone understands that. And there's a lot going on that's outside of our control. But I think if, you know, I'm not happy about you know, what happened against Brentford or Chelsea. I didn't like losing and I don't like losing and I don't like at all the, you know, the idea that, well, it's Chelsea and Man City, so we just write those points off. Like, I get it from a logical perspective. I just don't like it from a visceral one. But if you are looking for the club to do things in a way which is encouraging and which makes sense and which at least attempts to to bridge that gap in a relatively sensible way, like bringing in a load of young players that can grow and develop together is exactly that. It's not giving the three-year deal to Willian. And I know that there are people at the club right now who are involved in that deal and who rightly deserve some criticism for it and everything else. 
you know, he comes in, plays like shit for a year and gets paid off to, you know, go away with two years left on his contract. I think if you saw that happening at any other club, you'd be like, you'd just be laughing. Be laughing your head off. We can't laugh at that. We can't afford to laugh at that. It's too much of a mistake. Um, You know, it hurt us, I think, on and off the pitch. I think it hurt, um, you know, this current setup as well uh, because they they seemed to advocate quite strongly for that deal, uh, even though I think technically it was a Raul special. Uh, You know, but... If you want things to be better, you've got to do things differently. And so far this summer, we appear to be doing things slightly differently. It may work, it may not, but like, is is that not what people want? Yeah, yeah, because there's essentially there's two ways you can look at a transfer window. You can look at like, you, you can quibble over the talent of the players that, that have been signed, mm-hmm. which everyone can, should, will do. That's absolutely fine. But then you kind of look at the strategy, and that's. Look, I, I'm I'm not going to lie. I, I'm not really sure how good Ben White is. I didn't watch a whole lot of Brighton. I must Same. say, yep. it, it's. I've never thought, oh wow, he's a player. Um, but then I, I've not really watched him that deeply. Ditto Ramsdale. To be honest, I didn't like what I saw, but I didn't watch a whole lot of Sheffield United. And so, like in terms of the talent ID, I know people have issues mm. with Erdegaard because of the end product thing we talked about and that's that's kind of fine. But then when I look at the actual strategy, it's like, okay, I can disagree with Edu or Mikel Arteta's talent ID. doesn't really matter uh, for, you know, whether I do or not. It, 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 I, I hope they're right, put it that way. And and so, yeah, you, you can kind of quibble over the talent of the players, but at least there's something you can see in terms of a plan. And and it's the right plan. It is the right plan. We have to try and buy, like, if we think Ben White, like, because obviously, right, we don't think that Ben White and Aaron Ramsdale are at their ceiling yet. We think they're mm. going to get better. Ditto Erdegaard. So that they've had to take, I don't want to call it a gamble, because I hope it's not a gamble, but they've had to take a little bit of a punt mm. on that actually happening. And of course they have to, because if, like, Ben White is the next Van Dyke. Uh, for example, we're not going to get him. <laughs> when he gets to 70, 80 million, then he's out of our reach. Mm. So same with Ramsdale. If Ramsdale, you know, becomes like the next big thing in English goalkeeping, then, you know, he's 24 million now. How If, if he becomes Arsenal's number one, how much does that instantly put on his value, given that he's nearly 30 million now playing for a relegated club? If he, mm. this time next year, I'm pretty sure Leno will be gone. He'll be worth double that anyway. So again, you've, you've got to take those kind of punts and, and these are kind of signings that I look at and I kind of think, okay, even if they don't work out, at least I understood them. And ultimately, if they don't work out, then the technical director will probably lose his job. The coach will probably lose his job because it means they're no good at talent ID and that's a problem because mm. actually having a strategy to buy young players is the easy bit. Um, we, we we shouldn't have had to have gone through Willian and Cedric Suarez to arrive at the the idea that that was a bad idea. It, yeah, it looks like a bad idea. It's not. I don't think anyone's you know being being kind of wise in hindsight with that. Um, and and so ultimately now you can look at this team and say, okay, it's it's Arteta and Edu's team now, and it will live and die um, on that basis. Um, I, I do think Arteta's got a point about like. Obviously, it's not going to be at its ceiling straight away. Um, it's going to take a little while for these mm. guys to be together. But if after like three, four months of this season, it's not happening with Arteta, at least we've got a team that like the next manager can work with. And that that that's part of the technical director's um, job as well. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it feels to me that probably the technical director is a bit more, he's on thinner ice than the manager. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And I think that relationship perhaps is one which is not quite where it should be. I don't mean between Arteta and Edu. I, I think, uh, you know, I don't know anything about them on a personal level, how they get on or whatever, but I just feel in terms of who has the power, who has the authority, it feels like Arteta is that guy and Edu is kind of doing his bidding in a way, whereas realistically, your technical director should be the one... Um, who's, I guess, ahead of your head coach. Uh, but we don't have a head coach, we have a manager. And that is where that is where that dynamic has become slightly shifted, hasn't it? 
Yeah, absolutely. And you can do it either way um, because, to be fair, we tried to do it the other way with Emery uh, where we didn't buy him the players he wanted. We bought the profile of player, but we didn't get Zaha, we didn't get Nzonzi. Mm. Um, we got him players that he, we he got didn't him the like opposite. much. We got him the opposite. Like he wanted a right, yeah. uh, right-footed winger to play on the left. We got him a left-footed winger to play on the on the right, <laughs> and he wanted a big bastard in midfield. And we got him Lucas Torreira. So, <laughs> you know. yeah. So there's there's and I, I do I must admit I do worry sometimes when clubs just go and do the opposite thing, yeah. where they go, okay, we did that last time, so now let's do the complete opposite, where yeah. the manager identifies the players and the technical director just goes out and gets them. Because as you said, like there's a middle ground there, right? Mm. Because you can say to the manager, okay, like the manager has to has to like the player and has to sign off on the player. Yeah. That like has to happen. But you know, you can say, okay, what kind of profile are you looking for? And do you have players in mind? And then like, okay, but if we can't get him, what about this guy? Um, for example, you know, just that more. Whereas with Emery, it felt very, no, nope, we're giving you this, work with it. Yeah. Um, almost Chelsea style. I mean, that's what Chelsea do, but Chelsea have all the money in the world, so they can do that. They can just go, yeah, have Werner and Havertz and, um, you know, they're really good players, but they don't fit in the same team. So good luck with that. We're doing, we're, you know, trying to do that with a different level of player is a different thing altogether. But now it does feel like I doubt that, um, well, we know for a fact, don't we, that Arteta ID'd Ramsdale very much. Yeah. Um, and I doubt that Edu's the one out there going, yeah, Ben White, that's that's the one we want. <laughs> and and to be honest, Edu, however much Raul was involved, Edu has probably lost those privileges with deals like the Willian one, with the Cedric, Cedric one, with yeah. his closeness to a certain agent. Like, Pablo Marie it, as well was another yeah, one. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, there is maybe a sense that Edu's had his chance as mm. well um, to really do that. Um, and so, the, you know, the, I think you're right. I do think that is a slightly interesting dynamic there. And I, I never got the sense that Arsenal... Re- well, Arsenal didn't really want Edu. We know they wanted Monchi. And yeah. look, that happens in life. You don't get your first target. You have to go to someone else. But I'm, I'm not sure how all in they were on Edu. I think it was a bit like, OK, we need someone... We can probably get him, and he used to be our like. If Edu wasn't a former Arsenal player, I don't, I don't think he'd have this. No, I agree. Job. I agree. I mean, like um, the Munchie thing was, the Munchie thing was so close, and mm. you know he turned it down to go back to Sevilla, which is obviously the club uh, of his heart and all that kind of stuff. And I do wonder if, as well, there was an element of like, well, I'm not getting involved in this fucking Arsenal right now, yeah. uh, you know. So I think when Edu was brought in, he was brought in as. You know, somebody who would work under Raul and now he's somebody who's working under Arteta. And I think you're right that like, you know, if that connection wasn't there, there was nothing about his bona fides as a technical director that would have made them go for him. No, 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 certainly not. All right. Look, just very finally, um, let's talk Arsenal women for one second. Um, Some big games coming up in the Champions League against Slavia Prague. Um, What is the sense of how the, the squad is shaping up under the new manager and everything else? Yeah, sure. So they played a couple of Champions League qualifiers in Moscow and they beat Ogzet um, Pez from Kazakhstan as expected and they beat PSV Eindhoven. So now they're in a final qualifier and they, they've they've had a touch here because there were four teams they could get. Slavia Prague, who they've got. Um, Rosengord, which happens to be Jonas Eideval, the coach's previous team. Leon and Wolfsburg mm. in a final qualifier to get into the group stages. If they'd got Leon or Wolfsburg... That would have been very, very, very tough and they wouldn't have been favourites. Rosengord are on a similar level to Arsenal, I'd say. Slavia, they played Slavia in the Champions League when they were last in it and won 13-2 on aggregate. So they're <laughs> okay. big favourites for this. So that, that mm. like they, they really got the draw they needed. So they're probably going to go into the group stage, which is huge, um, really. In terms of how the squad's shaping up, looking really, really good. They're still looking to add, they're, they're a little bit light in midfield um, and they're looking to add another midfielder, at least another midfielder, which I think they really need. They've got a couple of injuries in there. Jordan Nobbs sprained her ankle quite badly in pre-season. They've got a defensive midfielder called Marlin Gutt. She's going to be out till February, March with an ACL injury. So they need another signing there. But the, the signings they've made, Norwegian midfielder called Frieda Marnham, who's one of the best kind of under-22 players in Europe. Nikita Paris, who's got a 
brilliant record um, of scoring loads of goals in the WSL. Um, I'm sure she'll score a hatful for Arsenal. But the one that's um, that's really caught the the eye is Mane Obuchi. Um, Holy Japanese cow! Player. That that goal last week. Yeah. Oof. Yeah, she's she's if she doesn't win goal of the month, um, the Arsenal <laughs> goal of the month, then there's something seriously wrong. But she's she's just a lovely player, a player Arsenal tried to get for a good year and a half before they got her, and she's just. She's just she's just an Arsenal player. She's just lovely technical player, like short back lift, you know, pops the ball around the pitch brilliantly. And she happens to be best friends with Vivian Miedema. They played together at Bayern Munich and have been best friends for years. And so they've already got like an on-pitch relationship as well. And she's 28 now, so she's like in her prime. And I think she's like really looking like a signing that's just going to bring Arsenal up another level. They do They do need another midfielder and you know like pre-season's been tough because they'll have played four Champions League qualifiers basically before the season starts so they're playing a lot of football um, this year so they're going to need a bigger squad but it it is looking in good shape and Jonas um, he he wants to bring a slightly different style he's much more about high pressing getting the ball forward a little bit more quickly than they did under Joe so there is a bit of a change there changing impetus um, he's he's not as kind of uh, as a person. He's a he's a bit more intense than Joe was. So like it just feels like there's a refresh of the atmosphere. And yeah, they, they l- listen every year. I say it. They should challenge for the league. Not necessarily win it, mm. but they should challenge. And I think they will this year. Yeah, uh, you know, big start to the season as well um, against Chelsea. So. Yeah, at the Emirates. Yeah. And what I'd say there is tickets are on general sale. Um, you know, please come along. You won't regret it, I don't think. But so many people have asked for the opportunity to see Arsenal at the Emirates. You'll definitely see it again in March. They play Spurs. That will happen at the Emirates. If and when they get through to the Champions League group stages, they will be unseeded. They will mm. play. Therefore, will play one really big team. That will probably pl- be played at the Emirates. So there will be other chances. But essentially they're giving up home advantage to play the defending champions. And when I say giving up home advantage, you know, yeah. not playing at a Meadow Park where they're more familiar, the the thing that will really cancel out the loss of home advantage is if there are lots of Arsenal fans in the stadium um, on on Sunday, the 5th of September. So do come along if you can. Yeah, I mean, tickets are £12 for adults. They're £6 for juniors. So, you know, get along, bring your kids, have a day out, watch the Arsenal women beat Chelsea women and, uh, yeah, have a grand old time and give them the the support they need. Okay, look, we better leave it there, Tim. Thank you very much indeed. My pleasure as always. Thank you very much indeed to Tim. You can find him on Twitter at Stilberto, at Stilberto. I have added a link to the show notes, which uh, has Tim's column from this week, which sort of touches on what we were talking about in there uh, with regards to, you know, just being happy and being at the games and and how that relationship is between fans and players. I've also put a link to the thread from Geezy Peas uh, that Tim mentioned in there. It's well worth a read as well. So, Manchester City on Saturday morning. Um, Look, I hope we can get something from this game because it would be depressing to go into the international break, into the interlude with no points and to probably, in fairness, sit bottom of the table. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, yeah, look, we could do with some points, even a point. It's been a while since we've taken anything from Man City uh, at their place. Is it that famous game, the Cazorla game? I think it could be. That's a good few years ago now. So perhaps, perhaps... The law of averages is on our side. For more Man City talk, head over to Patreon, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. We preview every Premier League game with a podcast over there. Myself and Lewis Ambrose have discussed the Man City game already, so you can find it there, patreon.com forward slash arsblog. We will be doing all the usual stuff on the site over the weekend, live blog, all the reaction, player ratings, etc. on arsblog news. James and I will be here on Monday with an arscast extra for you. So keep everything you've got crossed for an Arsenal result this weekend. I think we're all going to have to play our part by making all of our superstitions come together in one great cocktail of superstition. And somehow, some way, we'll find a way to get anything at all from 
from Man City. So look, thanks as always for being here. It is much appreciated. Your support, your downloads, your comments, all the rest of it. Thank you very, very much. Take it easy, folks, and we will catch you on the next one. Welcome back to TalkShite Radio, talking shine about sport 24 hours a day. We're here to analyse the midweek Carabao Cup action, and with me as always to do that, former professional player and now full-time ball person, it is Danny Cunty. Danny, let's talk Arsenal through to the next round of the Carabao Cup. Comprehensive win over West Brom, 6-0, Aubameyang with a hat-trick. Were you impressed by the Gunners? Fair point, but it does ease some of the pressure on Mikel Arteta. And a clean sheet on his debut for Aaron Ramsdale. He'll be very happy with that. Uh, excuse me, uh, folks, I've just had my producer in my ear telling me that, in fact, we do not have Danny Cunty in the studio. It is, in fact, a wounded pelican. But many of you are texting in saying you much prefer his analysis to that of Danny, so we'll see what we can do about giving this guy a permanent gig. We had better take a commercial break. When we return, Alan Podge, who is in studio to tell us why the food shortages in his local Asda have forced him to eat his own young. Talk show radio. Talking shit about sport 24 hours a day. 24 hours a day. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.